Let's pray and ask for God's help as we turn to God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in your mercy you speak to us loudly and clearly in your word, the Bible. Uh, thank you that as we open up your Bible, your word this morning, we can hear you, that you address us. And we pray, please, that therefore you would be at work in our hearts, that we would hear clearly what you say, that we would accept what you say, and that by your Spirit working in us, you would change us, that we might be more and more like the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we, be, as we sit at this point, looking out on the year ahead, who knows what this, what 2023 is going to hold for each one of us. Hopefully, it will hold uh, some good times. And it's right to be optimistic, isn't it? Life is full of blessings if we have our eyes open to see them. But inevitably also, there's going to be a fair share of trials. The trials of life. Poor health, job insecurity, money problems, the death of a loved one, grief, family fallouts, depression, mental illness, stress, heavy workloads. The list really could go on and on and on. And of course, we know that being a believer doesn't immunize us against those things. Maybe you're facing such trials of life um, even today and, and these weeks and these months the trials of life, or perhaps the trials of faith. In other words, difficulties that we face because we're a believer, being spoken badly of or being thought strange. I know that some of you have spoke about uh, being on the end of intolerance at work because you're a believer. Uh, certainly some of our young folk at school, if they're living out their faith, they're going to feel isolated and out of it, maybe even insulted and teased. So when we face these kinds of trials in the months ahead, the trials of life, the trials of faith, what's going to keep us trusting and rejoicing in God? What perspective do we need to dig deep and keep going? What do we need to know and remember if we're not going to give up on God when we face these trials? Well, I've chosen the book of uh, 1 Peter to work through over the next couple of months. We're putting uh, John's gospel on pause, if you like. I hope to come back to it um, uh, sometime later in the year. But I've chosen the book of 1 Peter in part because their circumstances are similar to ours. Uh, like, like us, they were facing, we're told, all kinds of trials. We see that in chapter 1, verse 6, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you facing all kinds of trials, the trials of life, the trials of faith. For them, it wasn't full-on persecution. It was more how you describe kind of low-level hostility for being Christian, maybe just a notch or two up on what we face. So for them, it was accusations and insults and slander and abuse. In other words, it was verbal opposition. And Peter's desire for them is that they would stand fast in the grace of God amid these trials. We see that in chapter 5, verse 12. Right at the end of this letter, Peter says, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. 
So like a fisherman in the river, um, up to his waist in water, casting his rod, uh, the, the river is coming, the water is flowing against him, downstream, trying to push him this way. The debris is all rushing past him as he stands firm, unmoved, feet firmly planted to the riverbed. That's Peter's desire for them and indeed for us, that whatever trials this coming year might hold for us, we might be like that fisherman. We might stand fast in the grace of God. But what's going to help us to do that? What do we need to know if we're going to keep going when confronted with the trials of life and faith? Well, according to Peter, we need to be clear on who we are. We need to be clear on our identity. We're really just going to look at verses 1 and 2 this morning. I'll pick up verses 3 to 5 next week. But here in verses 1 and 2, Peter is speaking about our identity, who we are. And he highlights for us two aspects of our identity as believers if we're going to be like that fisherman and stand fast in the grace of God. Firstly, Peter says, you've got to embrace, you've got to get that you are exiles. That is, in relation to the world, in relation to the societies in which we live, we are foreigners, we are aliens, we are strangers, we are outsiders. So if you've got your Bible open, have a look just at there at verse 1, as Peter addresses his readers. He says, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, Peter's original readers were likely foreigners twice over. They were exiles twice over. So they were literal foreigners, it seems. It seems that these folk, they, it seems likely that they used to live in Rome, uh, where they came to faith. But then under Emperor Claudius, uh, they were displaced. They were taken out of Rome and put into these colonized provinces, uh, Asia, Bithynia, uh, Cappadocia, and so on. It's what emperors did. Uh, and quite possibly, these Christians were in that group of displaced people because they were viewed as disruptive. So these folk to, to whom Peter is writing were probably literal foreigners living in a foreign place. But more than that, they were spiritual foreigners, spiritual exiles. They, they didn't belong in these places where they lived, not just because they were probably originally from Rome, but also, and much more so, because they were Christians. That was true of them. And that, in fact, is true of every believer wherever they might live in this world. Because, of course, a Christian never really belongs anywhere in this world. We are all, trusting in Christ, spiritual foreigners and exiles. And that's worth us just dwelling on for just a moment. Because, of course, that means that even when we've lived in a town our whole lives, even when we know our, our way around that town like the back of our hand, even when we, even when we speak with a local accent, even when, we're a, when it comes to the local history, an expert, even then, our faith in Jesus makes us like foreigners. It makes us like exiles. 
And in calling us exiles, Peter's also drawing a line for us, from us to the Old Testament people of Israel. Not to the time when the Old Testament people of Israel lived in the promised land, but to the time when they were taken out of the promised land and brought to Babylon against their will, when they were exiles. And again, that's just very helpful for us to think about. Because Peter says to us, look, if you want an illustration for who you are, don't compare yourself with God's people when they lived in Jerusalem, subject to a godly king, uh, under godly laws, living in the shadow of God's temple, surrounded by God's people. Don't compare yourself to to God's people back then. If you want an idea of who you are, compare yourself to God's people when they'd been removed and were in Babylon, feeling lost, far from home, ruled by ungodly leaders, subject to ungodly laws, surrounded by idols, thought of as strange, viewed with suspicion. Peter says, that's who you are, exiles. In relation to the world, in relation to the societies in which they live, believers in Jesus are exiles, foreigners. And of course, this foreignness speaks not just of superficial difference, but actually a fundamental, deep, profound difference. Uh, when you spend any length of time in a different country, or you get to know someone uh, from a different country to your own, uh, you soon realize that cultures can be vastly different. You think of one of our neighboring countries, France. Um, it's not just that in France they drive on the right and speak French. It's far, far more than that, isn't it? Everything is different. What people think is important and valuable is different. How people view the world is different. How they think about the future is different. What motivates them is different. How they they feel they should speak and act is different. Who they think is in charge is different. It's so different. So a French person in Antrim, or an Antrimish person in France, even if they've got the language, even if they've got used to which side of the road they drive on, is going to feel their foreignness, is going to feel different. And it's the same with believers in Jesus, Peter tells us. It's not just that our Sunday morning routine is different to our unbelieving neighbors. Everything about us is different. How we view the world, our values, our motives, our behavior, our speech, our perspective, it's different. That means we're foreigners, we're exiles. Now, of course, just because we don't belong to the world doesn't mean we should withdraw and disengage from it, form a holy huddle and just hunker down until Jesus comes back. No, we are to serve, we are to contribute, we are to be involved as far as our faith and conscience allows us. But of course, we do so knowing that if we're faithful to Jesus in that, we are exiles and we will be viewed as such. It's probably just worth acknowledging here that in Northern Ireland, sometimes as believers, actually we can feel more like residents than foreigners. We can feel more like the locals than exiles. 
Of course, there are, next to other places in the world, there are loads of churches here, and there's a good number of Christians. And even when you're out and about, there are just lots of Bible verses around the place. And so we can feel like a resident. Sometimes people have even made the mistake of speaking of Northern Ireland as being a kind of promised land. I think the late Ian Paisley made that mistake, an idea which has probably seeped into our thinking that Northern Ireland is therefore a home for Christians. But the result of that mistaken thinking is that when, when we hear of movements which promote immorality or laws which undermine truth or threats to religious freedom, we can start to panic. And we think, what's happening to our home? And we think, it's not meant to be this way, not here. We have a crisis of faith. I didn't sign up for this. But Peter's telling us, and we've got to remember that, that even here, even in, if you want to call it Bible Belt Antrim, and we thank God for the Christian influence on this, in this place, but even here, we are spiritual foreigners, we are exiles, we don't belong, and we won't belong. Now, positively, if we do get this about ourselves, we're going to be better prepared for those trials of faith when they come. So that this year ahead, perhaps, when you get overlooked for a promotion for no other reason than for your Christian stance, you're not floored by that. You think, well, that's par for the course for an exile and a spiritual foreigner. That's just what happens, sadly. So that when we're uh, labeled unfairly, perhaps, as evil or dangerous because we believe the Bible, we're not floored by that. And by the way, I do think that's coming. Um, yes, uh, many in our culture will see us as good, even if naive. Um, others will see us uh, maybe neutrally as kind of um, uh, maybe old-fashioned, um, maybe a bit irrelevant. But a growing number do see believers not just in those ways, but as bad and indeed as dangerous. But of course, if, if we get that we're exiles and that we're never really going to belong, we're not going to get floored by being labeled evil, we'll be prepared for the trials of faith. Do you see yourself as an exile? If we're going to stand firm in the grace of God, Peter says, we've got to. But then the second aspect of our identity, uh, more briefly, uh, we are elect, we are exiles, but we are also elect. And this idea is going to come up again and again in this letter. We are elect. That is, we have been chosen. We belong to God. And again, that's right there in these verses. At verse 1, to God's elect exiles scattered. Verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. We are exiles, yes, but we are also elect. We are chosen. We have been chosen. And that is a very, very special thing. 
I think from childhood we know what a special thing it is to be chosen. You think in the playground, to be chosen for the, the team, that's a special thing. Or in the classroom, to be chosen to have your work read out or something like that, it's a special thing. Well, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we have the privilege of having been chosen to belong to God. And what we see here is that all three persons of the Godhead, that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, work together to bring this about for us. We've been chosen, we're told, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So God the Father foreknew us even before we were born, lovingly choosing us, not because of any goodness or potential in us, not because we're better than anyone else, but because of His mercy. God the, for, God the Father foreknew us. God the Holy Spirit, we're told, sanctified us. That is, whenever it was that you came to faith, I don't know when that was for you, it was the Holy Spirit who was the one at work in your heart, bringing that about, convicting you of sin, bringing you to faith, and now transforming you bit by bit. God the Father foreknew us. God the Holy Spirit sanctified us. God the Son, we're told, sprinkled us with his blood. That is, he died for us on the cross, that we might be cleansed, that we might be forgiven. So here we have all three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together in unison to bring it about that we might be God's elect, that we might be chosen by him, chosen to belong to him. Well, how does that help us? to be like that fisherman? How does knowing this about ourselves help us to stand fast when these trials of life and faith come towards us? Well, it means that in the trials of life, knowing that we're chosen means that we know that we're not alone and that we haven't been forgotten and that God's not neglecting us or punishing us. Knowing that we're chosen reminds us that he is with us, that we are, if you like, front and center in his thoughts, that we are being held in his loving hands. It reminds us that we're his, not because we chose him, and therefore he kind of has to take us on because that's what he's agreed to. No, we are his because he chose us, knowing exactly what we're like. Huge confidence as we face the trials of life. We belong to him. We are precious to him in his loving hands. It means that in the trials of faith, it changes things for us too. It means that we don't just need to grim and bear the fact that we don't belong in this world. Because actually we know that we belong to someone far better than the world. We belong to someone who is far more caring and far more important far more powerful and lasting, we belong to God. And knowing these things about us, knowing who we are, that really can give believers amazing resolve in the face of the life, in, in the, face of the, life uh, the, the, the trials of life and faith. I imagine that you know the story of Horatio Spafford. Um, that was the man who wrote the hymn it is well with my soul. Um, looking on his life, he really was a modern-day Job. 
Um, he was a very wealthy man, uh, but in 1871, he lost huge amounts of his wealth and assets in uh, the Great Fire of Chicago. Um, that very same year, his four-year-old died of scarlet fever. Um, two years after that, he decided that the, that the family needed a holiday and should take a holiday in England. He delayed um, for, for business and sent his wife and four daughters on ahead. But whilst crossing the Atlantic, you may know this, the ship sunk. Uh, all four of his daughters died. Only his wife survived. Just tragic, a modern-day Job. But when he heard the news, he sailed to England, and it was on that voyage that he wrote his hymn that we, we, that we know and sing. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. I belong to God. I'm his. Not immunizing him against grief, but giving him the resolve to keep going in the face of the trials of life and faith. And so for us this year ahead, do you see yourself as exiles and elect, as foreigners, but also belonging to God? Because, of course, if we're trusting in the Lord Jesus, that is who we are. That's what we need to embrace about ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the extraordinary privilege that you might choose us, in spite of us, to belong to you. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would see as a wonderful privilege the reality that we are chosen, that we are yours by virtue of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Help us too, we pray, to get clear on who we are in relation to the world, that we don't belong, but help us to keep going knowing that we belong to you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.